Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Always a joy to be here every week, even with my handmade bangs that I did today, that first time I'm using my right hand, I don't recommend doing that <laughs> yourself. But you know, we do what we have to in these times of change. And I'm so excited to be here with you because last week I missed the show. Um, I was just not in a good place mentally, uh, physically or otherwise, my ear, my hand, everything. I think it just kind of hit me all at once and I just went, I can't do this. And you know what? I missed it because seeing you guys um, every week and seeing what you put in the chats of the live stream of the show when we do it on the live stream portion before it goes out to podcast really lifts my spirits every week. So I'm not going to skip again <laughs> because it ended up, I would have been better off just doing the show to make me feel better. But I thought it was important to share that with you, especially since our day, our show today, we're going to be talking about digital well-being. And we're going to go a little bit deeper even than to just digital well-being. we I cannot talk today. Okay, digital well-being. Now, my guest today is Dr. Heidi Forbes Uste. And I, Heidi, I don't know if I said that right. When I come back on, you're going to have to let me know. Um, so I'm going to bring Heidi right on the show right now. Heidi and I, um, hey, Heidi. Um, we also write for Podcast Magazine. And before I knew Heidi, I had reviewed her podcast, Evolving Digital Self, because she's in the tech realm of podcasts. And we all know I'm a geek. And that's what I do for Podcast Magazine is review those uh, podcasts. And I so loved everything that Heidi was talking about that I was like, you have to come on the show. So Heidi, welcome. And please, did I slaughter your last name? <laughs> Thank you. No, it's it's totally fine. I'm very used to it. I get all forms of slaughter of the name. It's a Swedish name. So it just makes it complicated. It's Forbes Öste. Asta, um, right. Okay. I was, I, was like, I was umlauding wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being here today. And I know it's um, earlier for you because you are in Wyoming right now, right? Yes. And you've got um, a book called, um, well, you actually have two shows, Evolving Digital Self and Global Nomad Hacks, right? Which I yes. love because you are totally a global nomad. Uh, me, not so much. The last three years with my sound-induced vertigo, I've been stuck in my house. Like driving is even like a major torture fest <laughs> to oh. get in a car and go somewhere. But I used to love the whole idea of traveling everywhere but the thing that saved me, Heidi, the last few years is the fact that technology was here, that um, I could close caption certain things because I couldn't listen. Um, my phone was my lifeline because I could text people mm. and I could email because I couldn't speak because my own voice would trigger me to have such extreme vertigo, I almost blacked out a couple of times. With that, I see all the time, I mean, you and I were talking before the show, it seems so obvious that we need to be talking about 
digital well-being, but yet every single day, Heidi, I mean, every single day, I talk to somebody and they're like, oh, no, no, you know, I spend like 10 hours a day on my phone. I never go anywhere without it. I've got messenger on. I've got notifications. I love it. I can't live without it. Yet they don't, they're like, I don't sleep. I'm totally stressed out. Um, I feel like I don't achieve anything. So I feel like it's not obvious. And you're a, you're a behavioral scientist, this has to not be news to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to start with Laura, Laura I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you're able to use technology to really support your well-being and particularly through the, the uh, audio vertical. I'm, I, I've, I've never heard of that before, but it sounds really torturous, particularly in a day when uh, audio has become so critical as part of a communication factor for us. But there are so many great tools that we can use to, to compensate for that. Um, my research really started because I got, uh, I started initially, we were living in Sweden and I had seasonal affective disorder, which put me in a very, very dark place. And I started using the technology to really uh, pull myself out of that and also to, to, uh, to identify different ways that I could sort of hacks to improve my productivity when I was functional. And then unfortunately, while I was doing my dissertation, it was sort of pronounced even more, even though we, the biggest hack was we moved to California in order to get more sun and light, but then I got Lyme disease. And so it was a whole different set of physical and, um, and psychological attributes that I had to counter and using technology. So um, so the digital well-being for me goes far beyond just smartphone usage. Um, it's really about how we can use technology to en enhance our ability to be uh, productive and human and engaged with the world. Um, but finding a balance there where it doesn't become our world. And that's really that, that genuine sort of that tricky spot of balance is really what we're ultimately trying to achieve, where technology supports us rather than becomes us. And, um, and that's really, um, it's, for some people, it's really a struggle. For others, it's sort of a natural thing. But I think for all of us, because the technology is constantly changing, it's a moving target. And so it's about building the awareness of how we engage with the technology. Being a geek, right? Mm -hmm. I, I love technology and I've spent, I don't know, over three, close to four, maybe four decades helping people implement technology at all levels through personal all the way up to Fortune 50 companies. And I call myself in some cases a Luddite <laughs> <laughs> because I, I tend to in my personal life avoid a lot of technology. People are like, oh, you can do this. So you can do that. Don't you have that app? Why don't you use that? And I'm like, because I know for myself, when I fully immerse into tech, I don't feel as good physically. My posture changes. Um, even my eyes kind of change because of, of that the distance and the blue lights and all the other stuff that's going on. But because I also feel that sometimes we lose a personal connection 
We can get so lost. I mean, they call it doom scrolling now, where you're just constantly reading through the feed. But tech has some good benefits. And one of the things you talk about on your show, your one podcast, The Evolving Digital Self, and in your book, is this idea that technology should be created and your your consulting practice as well. Technology is created to assist us to live better lives, yet I feel as if technology has gotten kind of subverted, technology for the sake of technology, just because we can create it, just because it's there, um, it's sort of taken the place of it. What's your thoughts around that? Well, I think there's there's sort of two important points there. Um, and it's, I think, both from the user perspective and from the designer perspective, that we need to be careful about just because we can doesn't, and it's really just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Um, and then the other piece is also recognizing that nowadays, or I think it's always been, but now we're able to recognize it better, that the anomaly is the norm. There's no one standard way. There's no one uh, route to your relationship with technology. Each individual has different requirements, has different needs, has a different way of, of responding and reacting to the technology. So like you say, you're a Luddite. Um, and, and yet what you're doing is actually practicing very conscious use of technology. You're aware of the fact that it uh, affects you in a negative way. So these glasses I'm wearing, these, these caddis, they're awesome. They're blue blockers. So they're both a, um, you know, they're both a corrective lens for me, readers, but they're also a blue blocker lens because exactly that. I spend a lot of time in front of the screen and give me headaches. It does all kinds of other things if I don't wear blue blockers. But wearing blue blockers, all of a sudden that eliminates one factor there where I'm still able to do that engagement. In terms of developing the technologies, Absolutely. There is a lot of technology for technology's sake, but that's part of the development. We're in a rapidly evolving state where, um, you know, we are seeing things appear on the horizon that seem more like Star Wars or, or you know, Star Trek experiences and yet or even the Jetsons. But they're getting integrated into the way that we engage. I mean, you think about this last year where everybody's been on Zoom or some other kind of tool like you're using right now with Restream, where we're able to basically engage with people across the globe. Sometimes it's synchronous, sometimes it's asynchronous, but it requires us engaging through a mediated tool. And for some people, that interaction can have different kinds of consequences. For some people, it, it's the first time that they've actually been able to engage with an international audience. For others, it, you know, they, they, really require that physical interaction or that uh, that genuine you know synchronous response so we all have different ways of engaging we all have different ways of responding but the technology you've got to play with things first before they can actually get to a balanced space so you're going to see a lot of technology for technology's sake and some of it will go by the wayside but other things will be integrated as we find their benefits and so it's a challenging time because we have to be, as individuals, much more conscious about how those interactions with the technologies respond for us, both in, in terms of our productivity, but also in how they physiologically respond um, with our bodies. 
And most people aren't really aware of that. And sometimes it's, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in my chair like this, okay? It's, it's everything from your posture um, and, and the possibility to be aware of the fact I can see myself and I see that I have poor posture or I can use a device that corrects my posture. There's another piece of technology. Um, but there's, you know, it recognizing that there's certain things that enhance us and there's other things that we have to create boundaries around. And that boundaries piece is what's critical. It's understanding what's good for us and what's not. And part of that is just in developing that relationship with the technology. It's kind of like having toxic friends. You know, there's certain yeah. people that that you spend time with, even though you know no, they're not good for you. Well, th- your relationship with technology can be that same way. So you've got to have really clear boundaries about what's good and what's not. I feel like this last year accelerated a lot of these concepts that they were already moving forward. You know, we were already seeing this move to work from anywhere. We were beginning to see at some level um, internet everywhere, right? Because this COVID time also showed us the lack of the same things, right? The People, friends of mine are like, oh, that's not true that people are sitting outside of a McDonald's, little kids trying to go to school because they don't have Wi-Fi at home. And I'm like, people, this is so true. I interviewed somebody who lives in Michigan. He runs, you know, a pretty big company, but because of COVID, he wasn't going to the office. They had shut it down, but he had to go into his office to do the interview because where he lives there's like no internet. And I said, it's not just in poor rural areas. I mean, this is a guy that was a half an hour outside of a major metropolitan center and he had no internet. So I feel like there's two aspects to this whole digital self. It's the haves and the have nots and the have nots, some of them really just don't care but they now need to care because they can't go to school. They can't um, do a business because they can't get to the business where certain things were there, even doctors. Um, I've had three doctors retire on me, which is not fun because one was my gynecologist. And, you know, it's not fun trying to find a new gynecologist, but he just never wanted to go digital. And with COVID, he said, it's just not worth it to me anymore because of what I need to do in order to do what I do. So he just retired and several other doctors the same way. So in with the work that you do with helping businesses, with helping individuals think through their strategies, I mean, what are some of the things that you look at in order to help people really begin to say, Technology for technology's sake isn't long-term feasible. Or if that's not an accurate statement, tell me it's not an accurate statement. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm all for innovation, and I think innovation takes experimentation. So you need technology for technology's sake to, to be in that playground of development, but it needs to ultimately have a vision as to how it might be applied, how it could... Uh, you know, have an impact or, but also recognizing sort of the ethical consequences of, 
of you know the development. But it, when you start putting um, restrictions on development and innovation in the beginning, you sort of limit that play space and the potential. So, for example, my you know one of the things that I can't wait for, and I'm just I'm just a super geek about it is holograms. I just, you know, I want to get to that place where I go to my Zoom meeting and I can see everybody sitting in the same room with me. Like, that would be so cool. And, and I mean, I have global teams and I want to be able to sit with them in the same room. I don't necessarily have to touch them, but I want to be able to see them and not be staring at a screen. Same thing with our phones. Now that we can actually do a lot of uh, voice uh, commands to be able to take that movement of, you know, keeping your head craned down, looking at a screen and be able to just dictate things has been one of the most freeing things in the world for me. And I, I apologize because I understand with your, your vertigo, that's probably the worst thing in the world to have everything go audio, but it gives that accessibility piece to others that, I mean, I think about my 80 year old mother um, same thing. She dictates everything. She dictates and she she uses the audio commands because the keyboard is so small and it's, you know, she doesn't have the the dexterity that our kids have developed for, you know, for using these devices. But in terms of the disparity, I think, you know, unfortunately, the, the haves and have nots piece, you know, that's going to be there anyway. That's That's part of the innovation process. What we as uh, as developers and advisors can do is to really look at the big picture of, okay, in the initial phase, not everybody can have access, but how do we develop this so that ultimately the vision is accomplished where the, you know, the, the goal of whatever they're developing is accessible by all or accessible by all who need it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Looking at where we are in Wyoming, for example, there's certain areas, certain pockets here that there's just no access. I mean, you look at some of the reservations and they have, you know, very minimal access. Um, and yet, you know, there are organizations that are, you know, that are coming together to provide the tools, to provide the connectivity. Um, you know, it's not perfect by any by a long shot, but it's an effort to ultimately reach the longer term goal. And there's going to be that intermediate phase where, you know, that technology is moving faster than the distribution of the technology. And, but in that process, some of that technology will disappear because it's not going to be relevant. It's not going to be, you know, it's not helpful. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, look, it's sort of that first world problem. You have all these people that are overconnected and, in, and it's killing them, right? So, is it necessary to give that same level of connectivity to the entire world? Maybe not. Maybe that's actually more of a problem. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't really, I don't dare say sort of, you know, yes, we should all have this or no, we shouldn't, you know, no one should have that. But what I'm saying is that if we limit the innovation by saying, oh, well, everybody has to have access to this right away, then we don't get the innovation that's necessary to get to our ultimate vision of, you know, having access to education, having access to healthcare, having access to all of these things that we all need universally. Um, and does everybody need a smartphone? Well, you know, 20 years from now, pretty much. Um, but if you're living in a rural farm area somewhere that, um, you know, that you're not, 
that, you know, you don't have a bus system that you need to use your phone for a ticket and your, you know, your life sort of boundaries or your life bubble, if you will, is much smaller. Maybe that's, you know, your, your requirements for what you need in order to find happiness and health and education is not requiring the highest level of technology, but maybe being able to get access to it on a a laptop at home that can give you the digital reports of what's going on with the weather and what's going on with, uh, you know, the, you know, the environment. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a perfect answer for you, Laura. All I can say is that, you know, there's, there is no perfect answer for everyone. Everyone has different requirements and there's always going to be disparities, but the best that we can do is to develop with vision and ethics so that we understand the potential for things and that we intend to be able to make whatever is needed for the future accessible to whoever needs it. I I love the way you put that. That is, that is really beautiful that, you know, it becomes accessible to whoever needs it for whatever they need it for. I I just finished watching the latest season of Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. It's a radically different show from Star Trek as we've known it, either the original Star Trek or Star Trek Next Generation or Voyager or Deep Space Nine, total Star Trek geek. Um, And in it, they end up having in the third season of it in order to save the world from all sentient life, you know, very Hal, Hal 9,000, um, in order to save the world from destruction of sentient life by an AI, they jump 930 some odd years to the future. And here's this starship and all the people And they jump through time. And of course, it's like radically different than what they thought it was going to be. But they're still people. So obviously, they succeeded. Well, once they finally find the Federation and they get back out there and connected with them, and the Starship gets retrofitted with all the latest new tech, well, all of a sudden, it's personal transporters. Their badge allows them to instantly transport themselves wherever they want to go. But there's also this other device that sort of gets put on them that allows them to have, like, we have an iPad, right? And all the Star Trek universes, you know, they always had the pads that they signed or watched or did, right? Well, all of a sudden, they just go like this with their hand, and it appears, in front of them and they can move things around with their hands and they can read. And then this other hand, they can manifest phasers and laser cutters and it's all just there. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had that technology? But at the same time, when they lose access to it, there, the discovery crew can still function right? Because they haven't had it for very long, Mm -hmm. which makes them superheroes (laughs) to the future world because they know a life without it. I feel like we have a potential to lose that connection to the world and the troubleshooting and that, um, 
critical thinking processes that we've begun to push off to other things. Let me give an example. My friends have, all have kids. I've never had kids, but they're trying to figure out how to help their kids in school. We, you know, growing up, I know how much the teachers did for us. But nowadays, people have really pushed everything to the teachers to do, right? My parents helped a lot. They came into the classrooms and were teachers' aides and monitors. But now all of a sudden, it's all on the families at home. And it's all digital. And these kids are struggling because nobody realized how much interaction was really needed to keep the kids focused. So where does that for you factor into this? I don't know if it was really clear because I'm trying to formulate this whole idea of we need to use the technology, but I'm afraid that we may be raising a generation that doesn't know how to think without it because the computer makes the leaps for them. No, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that. And there, um, in my in my second book, um, or actually technically it was my third book, but uh, digital self mastery across generations, I looked a lot at this. And this was pre I wrote it pre COVID. Um, but one of the things that I found that was really interesting while I was doing my research is that so I'm Gen X, uh, I have Gen Z kids, and um, my mother is Boomer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Boomer. I'm a She's boomer. sort of lost generation, boomer, whatever, yeah. great generation. Um, but what I found was really fascinating was this um, this agility that the that the kids have that we 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 uh, don't give them enough credit for. I think the ones that um, that struggle a bit are, uh, you know, Gen X. We we both have have our feet both in the technology and in um, the sort of manual manipulation way of doing things. And we try to do both at the same time and get overwhelmed. Whereas the Gen Z are extremely agile in, um, in how they integrate the technology. And they're much better at turning it off than I think, you know, I think Gen, Gen Xers are, they're very good at the doom scroll. They get caught in that. And um, because it's sort of, Oh, it's this, you know, it's like reading the newspaper, but it never ends, right? So we, you know, when you sit down for your Sunday newspaper, you can just keep on going. Um, whereas it used I always to have just a call finite, it going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. It used to have a finite end though. You finish the paper and then you put it aside and then you go do your Sunday activity. Now it's like, oh, well, you know, I can dig deeper and you, you know, go down the rabbit hole. Um, I do find that, you know, having Gen Z kids myself. Um, you know, my husband and I were always having conversations like they don't even know how to chop wood. They don't want to, you know, like we need to teach them some of these basic skills, survival skills um, that, you know, what if everything does get shut off, you know? Um, but I think that one of the things that has really come out, uh, both positive and negative from this last year is the resilience in these kids. Um, I think it's hard that we have to recognize that this is hard for everyone. It is, we are in the middle of a pandemic. So you can't expect perfect solutions when, you know, when it's, it's something that got thrown on everyone. I mean, even the companies that are creating the solutions that are helping us through it, whether it's the Zooms or the, you know, whatever, they weren't prepared 
for the scale of what was needed. And so, you know, and the, the internet service providers, you know, to be able to increase the demand and you know, increase the, the, you know, the connectivity, the, the, the uh, cellular providers, all of this, it's, you know, it's put challenges on everyone. So we can't expect, yes, we've been into it a year, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, a year is not a very long time in terms of development. And, you know, yes, technology goes very fast, but you you have to have that experimentation time. And we're sort of all caught in this big experiment. So, you know, I think we we have to practice patience a little bit more. Now, that's not to say that it's not a struggle. I'm not trying to discount that. I think, um, you know, what we're what we're seeing is something that is going to have very serious consequences down the line. Um, but it also is going to develop. You know, you look at these kids; they're coming out of, or, or they're going into high school, and they're they're going into their schools, and they're they're the whole environment that they're coming out of when they finish is changing. The landscape is changing, but in a way they're at an advantage because they're at that flexion point where they're deciding what they want to do with their lives. And they're going to, they're deciding based on this new landscape. Whereas these kids that graduated four years ago, they've got degrees that are completely obsolete. So you, you know, there's, you know, and they may not even be as, you know, they if they finished college, you know, before this whole thing, they may not also be comfortable. They at least they're the kids that are in school right now, they're learning how to use the tools. That that's because it's part of the requirement of just getting their education. So there's there's an upside and a downside to all of it. And I think we need to be a little bit more patient and kind with ourselves and our learning and the learning process and, and forgiving on sort of looking at the bigger picture because it's, yes, we're still in the middle of this pandemic struggle, but in the end, we're learning these critical skills and we're learning what our strengths and weaknesses are within those, that learning process um, that are going to help us and help our kids going forward. So I have a, you know, when you're looking at it in the short term, I think it can, it can be very easy to be very negative about it. But I think when we're, you know, in the research that I'm doing for my new book on the future of workplace, I think all of this stuff is really helpful for, you know, for preparing them for the future and preparing them for what the workplace and what the world is like 20 years from now, which is going to be when they're the adults. So um, I think, Yes, it's hard, but it's not easy for anyone. I mean, there's, you know, there's some people that have been like, oh, the pandemic's been great. Um, You know, I'm an introvert. I love being inside. I love being able to, you know, pick and choose who I interact with and I don't have to go to these big conferences. And then there's, but but there's still challenges, you know? So there's others that are like desperate for that human contact Um, and they they need that feedback. Hmm? I miss hugs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge hugger. Yeah. My mother, um, we have this expression that we just, that we created this summer called a Graham witch. My mother goes by the nickname Graham. And um, my husband and I drove across the country uh, over 
during like the peak of the pandemic to help her move out of her home into a senior community. And she had been in isolation basically for six months. So we had to wait sort of our quarantine time and then go get our negative test. She got her negative test and then we were able to give her a hug. So my husband and I gave her a hug on both sides and it was just, it was the most amazing thing. It was like this desperation of like that was the first physical contact she'd had in six months. And so she got lots of grandwiches um, after that. And now she's vaccinated. So she's she's uh, been able to get more grandwiches from my, my brother and sister-in-law who live a little more locally to her. But it is that it's that physical contact. And, and I think part of what we're recognizing in this time is what are what's important to us. So Yes, there are struggles, but this time has been really an incredible opportunity for us to recognize what and who is important to us and to really skim off the stuff that's not. Um, Michelle Ragusa McBain, an incredible friend of mine, has just posted a couple of things. She misses hugs, too. And um, her husband, Jay, he's one of the top futurists in the world around technology. If you do not know him I need to introduce you to him and Michelle because they're just Yeah, I'd love to have them on my show. Um, You would, oh my God, they're just awesome. Um, Because Michelle posted and what you were just talking about, it really got me thinking about a completely different tangent of where I was planning on going. Have you seen a change in, let's say, culture, okay? I I remember grammar school and middle school and high school, And, you know, even in business environments, I have a friend who has to change jobs because she was put underneath somebody else who is a passive aggressive bully like you. And the woman is the head of HR. Mm. So how do you like prove any of it? Because these people are so good at being so subtle about things. Right. Um, In in schools, there's clicks. Right. In businesses, there are clicks. With this switch to digital, I mean, we know we have cyber bullies and all of that, but with schools going online, you can't, these bullies, these people that perhaps were leaders in a good way and leaders in a bad way, don't have that same physical presence to impact things. Do you think that when we go back to some form of more human contact that those people will still be able to go back to their, let's call them bad behaviors because they are bullying is totally bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all different levels of that. You know, we see the movies, they, they talk about putting kids in lockers, but do you think that that's still going to continue because of this digital push when we go back? I mean, I'm curious. I don't even know how to ask the right question. But when I think through this, I go, we've had a year of where some people, some kids and some businesses, it's like, oh my God, it's so much better. There's so much less drama from those worlds that have entered into our own worlds. What happens when you go back? Well, I think there, there's a couple things to take into account. You know, human nature is human nature. You're not going to change a whole lot there. But what you are going to what what's been um, an amazing thing that we've really seen a lot of when everything goes digital, there's accountability. Everything from 
you know, cryptocurrencies down to what, you know, what we're seeing with um, the engagement in a classroom. You know, you can't chat and, and say something mean without everybody seeing it and without somebody being able to do a screen capture and say, look, this is what he said to me. This is not, you know, this is not nice. So there's that accountability piece. But one thing that we're also seeing, and we saw this back when I was working in education technology in the early 90s, where um, there, you know, we were, it was just in forums and everything. But all of a sudden, when we, re- we did the virtual high school and people were actually able to take course, you know, they were ac- had access to uh, two courses that they would never have had access to. But they also, what we found was this is where sort of the, you know, the geeks became the stars. They were the ones that sat in the corner and never said anything in the physical classroom. But when they were given a virtual voice where they all of a sudden were able to share their knowledge, you know, maybe step back for a moment and and actually, you know, share what was of value to the conversation, it just became this this incredible uh, opportunity for the introvert, for that quiet person who has an incredible value to the conversation, but never spoke up before. And the one that it, it's no longer that one that has the loudest voice or the, you know, the, the prettiest face or whatever it is that got the most attention. I think we will see some of that shift coming back because those people have recognized their own value and their peers have recognized their value in the conversation. But human nature is human nature. Um, you know, you're not going to change a bully overnight, but you can hold them accountable. And I think what we're going to see going forward is not, I mean, the reality of it is we're never going to go back to the way it was. You know, it's not about like going back. What we will see in the future, pretty much guaranteed, is a hybrid environment. And that's why I was talking about earlier, the whole mesh concept like we're seeing from IBM you know, the, the um, you know, holograms and whatever, we're going to see a lot more of this hybrid where you get both the physical and the, uh, the virtual combined. And that really gives everybody a chance to shine, but it also holds people accountable. So hopefully, uh, despite human behavior, uh, despite our, you know, our own weaknesses, um, we will be able to interact and hopefully be a little more kind. You know, I I love that because I feel like there's so much good that has happened and people keep saying, when are we going to go back? And I'm like, I don't want to go back. You know, like I, yes, there are parts about the 1950s and sixties and seventies as a child growing up that I truly loved, but I don't want to go back there. Because there's so much more wonder and accessibility that has happened. I would love to go back to some of the respect and kindness things that were just automatically assumed would happen. You know, calling your adult neighbor Mr. or Mrs., you know, just as a respect until they said, oh, no, you can call me Heidi or whatever it is. I think those certain things... Um, etiquette, whatever you want to call them. I feel like we've lost a bunch of that because we've all gotten so just comfortable. And I don't necessarily feel that somebody just because of their position should automatically get respect, but I feel like they should at first, and then they have to prove that they deserve that. 
over mm-hmm. time. Um, so looking forward to what is going to come from COVID, the fact that people are helping people. Mm-hmm. Businesses are changing. Jay McBain has talked about this a number of times. Daniel Burris is another um, friend of mine. He's a big futurist as well. I don't know if you know Daniel and the anticipatory organization. But one of the things that they both talk about is this idea that moving forward, we need to take the best of what was before move it with us, let go what was not the best. And I Mm -hmm. feel like people are kind of forgetting that conversation. We're in a time of massive abundance for a large portion of the world, but large, not so good stuff for another part. So how do we bring them forward? It's not a matter of making everybody equal, but giving everybody opportunities. I feel COVID has transformed the business landscape. I mean, businesses that were able to pivot. I watch Shark Tank and, you know, you see these businesses that there were all in-person businesses and now their business has taken off because they figured out how to take advantage of digital. So with your thinking, your behavioral science background, your tech background, I mean, if I'm, if I remember correctly, your husband, Bjorn, did he, is he one of the co-founders of Oatly? Yes. Okay. Which I've not tried yet, but I just saw they have a chocolate version. So I'm really, really good. Chocolate oat <laughs> Try it with warm if you like hot chocolate. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to have to go get that now. <laughs> but, you know, we're seeing how because of supply chain issues, because of technology, we've been able to look at the world in another way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that will survive the same way or is it, I know it's going to escalate even further, but this idea of people want to just forget everything that happened or they want to go back to what, where the way it was there's to me, there's no more new normal. This is just normal. Each day is what normal is. Yeah. I I mean, I think we are, we are in this. um, I I generally try try to um, refer to it as like a chrysalis. Um, it's basically we're in this phase where, you know, like you said, things weren't so great right before this happened, right? And don't necessarily want to go back to it. Um, but in order for major change to happen, a lot of systems have to be broken down and completely recreated. And I think we're we're still very much in the chrysalis where, you know, little things are starting to poke out, but we are still very much in the middle of this chrysalis where a lot of things, systems still need to be broken down. And yet what we're, re- what we're seeing a lot more of is social businesses, social enterprises. I mean, if you look at 15 years ago, if you wanted to start a social enterprise, they were like, okay, you're either a nonprofit or you're a business. You're not, you can't have a purpose and we're not, you know, we're not going to invest in you if you just are purpose-based. Now, Employees, everyone, the the market is demanding that you have a purpose. They're demanding that you have a social impact. So I think we are seeing this uh, this shift. And I think uh, COVID has been helpful in that because there's more need um, or it's been more visible also because it's been more. Yeah, it's really come to the surface. And so you can't deny it anymore. It's, you know, whether it's climate or whether it's poverty or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, 
you can't you can't ignore it. It's right there in your face. And um, and I think that this next generation is very much about, you know, what do we need to do to create that shift? Now, circling back a little bit to what you were saying in terms of, um, you know, some of those things that, you know, that we were raised with sort of the, the kindness and respect. I think those things are sort of inherent in that as well, but they are learned. They're something that we learned within the culture of our families. They're, we learned within the culture of the institutions. And it's up to the leaders, whether you're a leader in a family or an institution, um, to really define that culture. And so it's having a culture of gratitude and appreciation and and really uh, integrating that. I mean, in, in my research around digital self, one of the things that I talk about a lot is the importance of gratitude and that gratitude. So you don't really think about like gratitude and technology. Where do those two things uh, fit in? But um, when you're, you know, it, it's everything from being grateful of the fact that having a smartphone gives you access to your community, your people, your information, your, you know, that and that you all of a sudden don't have to carry around this big bag with a, you know, Rolodex or not a Rolodex, a Filofax, and I'll remember those, or even a Palm Pilot, all of these crazy <laughs> things, all of these things that we had before that, you know, that took up a lot of space. I mean, they they weren't great, but it's all just part of the evolution of where we're going. And having a sense of gratitude for what those things provide and the people that are in, that that make those things happen. Um, and the people that are on the other side, the, the you know, that we're able to connect with. The fact that we have a tool like LinkedIn that enables us to connect with our entire network, forget that file effects, for, forget the, the Rolodex, all of a sudden we can keep it up to date. We know where people are, we know where they're working and we can reach out to them by putting in a simple filter and say, who do I know that works in this space? Um, that we can get information and, right. and entertainment by just logging on to Apple podcasts. And all of a sudden we have access to all of these great stories, knowledge. I mean, the access to information is incredible. But if you don't have that sense of gratitude, which is something that is built in culturally, then it's very easy to just take it all for granted and just, you know, run right through it. And, and I think so that's where so the culture piece is absolutely critical, but it comes from the foundation of who our leaders are. And so um, I think it, it, that's something that unfortunately is up to uh, human nature. And, um, you know, we, it's something we all need to work on and we won't need to work on individually and we need to work on as, you know, as parents and as community leaders and, um, you know, and as leaders of organizations, leaders of podcasts, to talk about gratitude, appreciation, to just, you know, recognize how important that is as we move forward, if we are going to survive as humanity and to, you know, to, to take care of each other. I mean, like Michelle was saying, we're all in this together, humanity. Um, right. And that's not just us in our little bubble, but the bigger picture of the whole globe. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, long answer to a short question. Sorry. <laughs> I, I interviewed uh, Mark Asquith the other week, the British podcast guy, you know, and, and he's created all these different platforms. And he's he said something similar to you, long answer to a short question. And I'm like, yeah, no, you went where I wanted you to go. My my <laughs> role as the interviewer is to set up a thought. And 
see where you go with those thoughts. It's not about, at least on my show, it's not, Heidi. It's not about me asking you a question, getting an answer, ask a question, get an answer. My goal here is to start a conversation, to spur those thoughts and let you go where they go because this show is all about shifting perspectives. And, And I love it. So it was absolutely perfect. I had a feeling that that's kind of where you might go with it. But if you, I didn't care. I just wanted to hear that thought. So yay. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> you, <Awesome>. talked about, <laughs> you talked about leaders and where leaders need to go. And okay, we're both sitting here in the United States. It, to me, it's not about politics. Although I have my feelings about politics, you probably have your own. I look at other countries over the last year and the last four years, okay, and how their leaders used technology and social platforms to lift up their people and their countries and how other leaders in certain other places used it to create division. As as a world... Do you think it's possible to still have freedom of speech and, you know, lay out your thoughts, whatever they may be on social without having that, let's call it 1950s idea of don't say it if it's going to hurt somebody, unless it's going to be a productive moving forward, you know, constructive criticism versus negative feedback kind of thing. And I feel like it's become a world where you can say stuff just because you can say stuff and nobody's ever going to see you because that social media platform might not even really be you. It could be a name, a person, whatever you've made up for it. But yet the leaders of the world, they're not trying to hide, but I think their role as, as you said, we need to lift, right? We need to move the world forward in some way and say, this is how we should treat each other. But yet not everybody feels that way. I mean, we can go back in time. Genghis Khan, can you imagine if he had social media? Ugh. Hitler, if he had social media. And, you know, the list can go on and on and on about, you know, if the Unabomber, if the you know any of these things progressed to a certain level how do you i mean what's your conversation around that heidi because it's something that really concerns me and because you're a behavioral scientist i think you're the perfect person for me to finally ask that question of <laughs> well i'm not necessarily sure if i have your full a full answer for you but what i do what i can say and then this is part of the reason Actually, that interesting, well-placed, Laura, um, is in the why I started Global Nomad Hacks. So Global Nomad Hacks wasn't necessarily just about like how to be a digital nomad or all of those things, which um, I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of conversation around that. But really, it was about how to be a good global citizen. If you're going to be traveling around the world or living as an expat or engaging in global forums and um, or raising kids that are, you know, bicultural, that are, you know, binational, or living in an, you know, what's referred to as a third culture kid. You've got parents from two different countries, but you're living in another country and you're raising your kids there. 
these are great opportunities for us to be good global citizens and to learn how to be how to respect and be kind and to communicate uh, in a way that is authentic and clear and respectful. And so it's really, to me, it was about having those conversations about what it means to be a good global citizen, what it means to use the tools that we have, the platforms that we have accessible to us to make the world a better place, to to contribute to humanity. And so it's really, I think, yes, of course, there's always going to be like the bullies. There's always going to be those um, those bad guys. But what we can do as general uh as general parts of humanity, when we see those and is to speak out and to say, that's not okay. And to hold those people accountable for what they're doing. And if enough people speak out and we uh, make sure that we track things so that we can, you know, make, um, make good decisions and to, uh, to really be able to evaluate whether it's as a scientist looking at things and making sure that the facts are being uh, presented properly uh, and not just in science, but in politics and in everything else. The information is out there. The data is out there. And to help people recognize, you know, what's truth and what's not truth, to help people recognize what's good and what's evil. And I think that that's the best that we can do as humans. There's always going to be bad people. There's always going to be, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to say evil. Um, but what we can do is at least have a conversation about it and to, um, to help people understand how to, you know, to view things critically and to have a critical lens. But, you know, that's something that's a learned skill there. You know, you don't come out of the womb having critical thinking and, um, and some people never learn it. So, right. It's part of really developing as humans. And when we can have a global perspective, it helps us actually create that critical lens. I mean, in the, all the years that I've lived abroad, uh, I feel like I was a, like a more patriotic American than, than ever. Because, But at the same time, I had a critical lens of it and that there were things about America that I was disappointed in. And there were other things that I was so proud and excited about. And the same thing for my Swedish husband. I mean, we rarely celebrated Midsummer when we lived in Sweden, but then when we come back, to, you know, I lived in the US or anywhere else, we had to have a big Midsummer celebration because it was about pulling all of our community together and celebrating the earth and celebrating the changing of the seasons. So I think, you know, the more that we can take ourselves out of our comfort zone and look back in and recognize what's going on, um, both good and bad, the better humanity will be. So whether as leaders, we help people get into that space so that they can get perspective, or, you know, whether we just share the perspective, we have to, we have to um, be totally clear and authentic with where we are coming from so that our perspective say like, okay, this is my viewpoint because, of, but this is based on what my experience is. I am, I don't know the absolute. There's always, you know, different difference of opinion, but I can give you the data and I can tell you, you know, what my perspective is based on that data. And as long as we start from that point, we can, um, 
hopefully have more uh, honest and clear conversations and appreciate, you know, what we have. You just gave the perfect place to close up the show for today. <laughs> I mean, that was just so beautiful, Heidi. I, I want to make sure that everybody knows how to reach out to you, how to get listen to your podcasts and your get your books or just reach out to you if, if they have further questions. Sure. So um, sort of the, you know, the bucket place to reach me would be to balance you is my company. And there you can, there's access to both the podcasts, Evolving Digital Self and Global Nomad Hacks. Uh, we're also on all different uh, podcatchers. So easy to find there. Uh, we actually just launched a really exciting space, which um, is going to be growing very fast, which is uh, under globalnomadhacks.com slash hacks, where we're putting all of the great discoveries that we've found uh, along the way of, um, you know, the tools that we use and the, you know, service providers that, uh, that have done really cool things and the people that we've interviewed. So um, it's actually a really fun space to really, you know, to highlight some of the people that are doing it right and some of the cool things that you can find that, that help us be more human in a very technological world. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the easiest way to find me. And, and uh, there's contact um, forms on all of those. If you have any questions, happy to reach out. Okay. And it's the number two, balance, yeah. the letter U.com yes. and globalnomadhacks.com. Yes. Okay, great. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, Heidi. I mean, it was just a fantastic conversation. And I know I could have talked to you for another hour easily just going about all these different conversations, deep, going deeper dive into some of the global nomad stuff as well. Um, you've been just a joy to have on the show. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. All right. And everybody, I, I love the fact that Heidi has some really unique perspectives and she ties them so critically to the world today, the world yesterday, and the world in the future. That's called critical thinking. And I would love to know what you all think about the conversation that Heidi and I had today. How is it affecting your life, this change? How is your life being altered by the new digital landscape? Forget the word new. How is it being altered by the digital landscape. What are the pluses for you? What are the negatives? Are you even thinking about that? Share, post this out wherever, you know, your friends are, tell your fans about it, anybody that you think could benefit from this conversation that Heidi and I had today. And of course, as always, I would love it if you would on your favorite podcast platform, rate and review the show because it does help us get found. Remember everybody at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 